Hey everybody, we have some stuff to talk to you about before we get into the actual episode, starting with the fact that I would like to issue an apology for something that I said in the last episode, not the not the Hagrid episode, the last actual chapter episode. I said that something that I found upsetting made me want to die, and I meant that facetiously, which is something that no one should ever say because it's very triggering for many people who deal with suicidal thoughts and I'm really sorry and I want to reassure anyone who did feel triggered by that that it won't happen again and I also want to very profusely and uh heart Feltedly. <laughs> Thank Aaron for sending me an email about that and calling me in about it. Please always feel welcome. You are so very welcome to send us emails or DMs or however you want to reach out when something like that happens because we really want to know and make sure that we do better. So thank you, Aaron. And again, I'm really sorry. Yeah, we always appreciate anyone telling us where we have done wrong because this is how we learn. So thanks again, Aaron. On another note, because everyone needs some cheering up in this time of unending feeling quarantine, uh, we have two exciting things that that will be coming at you this month. Our first thing is that we are going to be live tweeting the first Harry Potter movie, despite our feelings. <laughs> Not despite, maybe in spite of our feelings. It's going to be interesting because neither of us like this movie. So it's going to be very funny. <laughs> um, and our live tweet will take place at 9 p.m. Eastern on April 17th. Yes. So yeah. Uh, so join us on Twitter at The Gaily Prophet. Follow the hashtag gaily news g-a-y-l-y news for us to live tweet this it's gonna be great feel free to join us and uh chime in as we ruthlessly stomp on your childhood favorite movie (laughs) (laughs) yes um our second announcement is that for your listening pleasure we are launching a brand new podcast (laughs) we are going to be Rereading Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. And this new podcast to come to your ears is going to be called Escape from Reality. I don't spell, so like you should explain the, the spelling of, of this. <laughs> it's Escape with a Gay. E-S-G-A-Y-P-E. <laughs> because you need to also escape with a gay. So this, exactly. is what, this is what we are bringing to you. And it comes out next Tuesday. It's going to be so great. It's um, And you don't have to have read either of the books to listen along. We will, there will not be as all-encompassing spoilers as there is for uh, The Gaily Prophet. So if you want to read along, you're pretty safe to do so. If you've read book one but haven't read book two, we will not at all be spoiling anything for book two. Because I still have to read it, so it's going to be really <laughs> funny. <laughs> Yeah, so we hope that that will bring you some joy. You can subscribe now all the usual places. And if there are specific podcatchers that you want us to 
submit to, feel free to shoot us an email at thegaylyprofit at gmail.com. Okay, so almost done. Update on our fund drive. So the podcast gender reveal, if you're familiar, uh, they are doing a similar fund distribution situation for trans folks. Uh, They have a much bigger reach than we do. And so the updated situation is that we distributed 420 of the $640 that we had raised, the remaining 220 yesterday I sent to Gender Reveal to be distributed through them. Any future donations that we get will be passed on to Gender Reveal, but you can still send those donations via the Gaily Profit to get a postcard. So you're welcome to continue donating your funds will be used in the exact same way but to request funds you should go through gender reveal at this point just because they are able to reach a wider audience of folks who are in need so that's that all that information again is in the show notes lastly but certainly not leastly thank you so much to our newest patron Kathinka, you're awesome. Um, everybody, I know money is really weird for so many folks right now. So the fact that y'all are still here supporting us is just so very meaningful. And then we have two new reviewers to thank. So to Caroline XYZ and Laura Shapiso, I'm so hoping that YouTube told me how to pronounce your last name correctly. Thank you so much for writing us reviews. It just makes our day. So you all rock and also of course big thanks to everyone who donated money for a postcard thank you all for coming through in this time in this very weird time that we're all going through y'all are so cool do you know that how fucking cool is it that you have raised 640 dollars in such a short amount of time to support folks who are in need queer supporting queers is the most beautiful thing hashtag mutual aid woo yes (laughs) it makes my empathetic heart just so happy Mm -hmm. yeah so now that we're all happy and excited let's get into this episode that is so good this episode that made me (laughs) weep tears of joy (laughs) while i edited it you are all so lucky that we're so funny because (laughs) you are gonna just have the time of your life for the next hour and a half so enjoy The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. They're wonderful. And then come back to us. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled. And that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism is left for us to rant about. There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. (laughs) You shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. (laughs) Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about (laughs) Harry Potter. 
Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we're going to talk about Chapter 11 of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Firebolt, in which Harry, stunned from the reveal of the three broomsticks, finds Sirius in his photo album to confirm the truth, and thus begins his rolling rampage of revenge, starting with flying to Okinawa to get a katana. No, wait. (laughs) Wrong story. He simmers in his rage and tells his friends that he will go after Sirius, despite Hermione and Ron's realistic, logical concerns for his safety. We get some important clues to the final reveal, and the gang goes down to Hagrid for Harry to confront her about the whole Sirius thing, and ends with them helping her to save Buckbeak. On Christmas, Harry receives an quote-unquote anonymous gift, the Bugatti of brooms, a firebolt. Hermione, a true friend who does not want Harry to die, tells McGonagall, and she in turn confiscates the broom because clearly Sirius Black sent it. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. All right, we start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Hogwarts Yule celebration shockingly more awkward than holidays with your family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if I was any of those other three kids, I would have been like, you know what? I'm just going to this to go. I'm going to hang out back in my common room. Definitely. All right, we turn to the front page where we talk about all the things that don't belong in other sections of this newspaper. So we start this chapter off with the image of Crookshanks laid out in front of the fire like a large ginger rug, which is so great. Really brings up the question of how big Crookshanks is again and makes me think about Theo's comic about the size of Crookshanks, but like... Regardless, it's just a very, very lovely and cozy image. I mean, yeah. Like, Crookshanks has to be, like, 30-plus pounds, I feel mm-hmm. like. Which is always funny to just imagine, like, 13-year-old Hermione, like, I carrying know. around this ginormous cat. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's really funny. I found a thing I want to bring up for my, for my front page. Okay. Uh, for folks not reading along... I have a point about the very first sentence in this chapter. Harry didn't have a clear idea of how he managed to get back through the Honeyduke cellar, through the tunnel, and into the castle once more. So basically, we'll never know how the fuck he actually gets back in through this slide and these weird tunnels. And I am very annoyed by it. Um, Unless it's something like, you know how like you're in like a subway station, there's like an escalator going down but then, like, stairs on the other side of it. Uh-huh. Maybe there's, like, the slide through the, you know, through the statue, but then, like, a staircase, like, next to it. You have to, like, climb all the way back up. Maybe there's rungs in the <laughs> top part of the slide, and you have uh, to climb up, like, a very awkward ladder. Oh, uh, that sounds worse than there being stairs. Way worse than stairs, for sure. Which, who knows, because fucking Hogwarts. Right. Yeah, it is, it's very, it's very convenient that Harry is in, like, a dissociated trauma state, and so he doesn't have to tell us what it looks like to sneak into the basement and get back. 
And I mean, granted, justifiable trauma fugue. So totally. Yes. Which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in a more serious section of the newspaper. Yeah. But I guess a lot of my front page is like way later in the chapter or else it's out of order. Who knows? Anyway. Oh, just so Hagrid. There's a lot of like, you know, me drawing hearts in my book around Hagrid in this chapter. Um, just So starting with the fact that she has brought Buckbeak into her home to get blood all over the place while chomping on who knows what in front of the fire is like just so precious and tender and I love her. Yeah. It is very, it was like, she didn't want Buckbeat to be outside by himself in the cold. And it's like, I know she's like a plus pet parent slash can be my mom anytime she wants i feel like i don't know if i should go in order or say my one haggard thing that's in my front page yeah let's just do that (laughs) is when the kids open the door to meet haggard she is wearing a leather vest one of the gayest accessories (laughs) (laughs) and i just wanted to point that out because it brought me a lot of happiness oh my god once again (laughs) me reading too fast robbing me of joy i did not catch that and that is so beautiful (laughs) what do you what patch do you think is sewn on the back oh my god oh i think it's like a metallic thread embroidered dragon oh yeah totally with like big uh like roses around and stuff but it's like Purple metallic thread because it's clearly Norbert. Yeah. Like iridescent I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. I want that leather vest, actually. You know, we should make a patch of that and sell it for people. I would wear that patch. Beautiful. We should definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so staying on this little section, um, <laughs> the flobberworms OD'd on lettuce. <laughs> Which is Uh, so funny. Oh, it's so funny. It makes me cry. You know what just occurred to me? What? Maybe that's what Buckbeak is eating. Flabberworms? They wouldn't get blood. They would get, like, bug ooze. That's true. I think. But hopefully, yes, the dead flabberworms were repurposed into some sort of animal feed. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. That piece of the chapter is so funny. Too much lettuce. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> the kids, the kids, the kids are so good. They just really show up for her. And it's like really great and sweet. And I just, I don't know. They're just so good. Like all three of them are like, yeah, they're just like in their own ways, like very good to hatred in this scene. And it mm-hmm. is. It's really lovely because, like, right, for a minute you're like, okay, but Harry, are you going to be that asshole to be like, I know you're, like, sobbing right now, Hagrid, but right, <laughs> tell me why these, and I'm just like, my dude. So I'm glad that that didn't happen. I also really like Ron making tea. I feel like he, I feel like he wasn't wrong in that sort of what makes people feel better. 
And there's something very tender about Ron being like, I don't fucking know how to deal with crisis, but it's what my mom does. So like, I think this is the thing to do. It's, it's just really hand, hand to heart, kind of sweet. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could talk about, I just feel like Ron is very good in this chapter, uh, which is notable because he gets definitely his empathy sort of uh wanes in the next couple of chapters so it's like really good to see him like really like shining with his strengths <laughs> mm-hmm. about like being very empathetic and like you know <laughs> be being their woke white friend <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah all right what's next um going back to the beginning of the chapter harry returns to the common room where fred and george have let off half a dozen dung bombs in the common room which must smell like either a like uncleaned like barn or like an open sewer none of which sounds like a fun thing you would do to celebrate literally anything yes so i'm mad enough about this that i had this note in editorials (laughs) because because it's bigger than just this situation which is like yeah what what do you like celebrating by making the common room uninhabitable a doesn't make any sense and then b why does anyone want like i can understand like dung bombs you like throw them at your enemies or you like do it as a prank but like the way that people seem to consistently use them in this series makes it seem like no i don't know what it makes it seem. i don't understand it. it doesn't make any fucking sense why would you do that yeah, I don't know. According to the Harry Potter wiki or whatever, uh, I think it described them as smelling putrid. So, you know, that to me suggests like more open sewer than barn. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like I feel like you can kind of adjust to like an overpowering like animal poop smell, but like open sewer is like way beyond like, oh, there's a lot of horses here and they have to shit, you know, it's. Yeah, so yeah. It just I I just don't understand. No, no. Why would you fucking do that? <clears throat> yep. I have another Crookshanks note, which is Crookshanks looking very grumpy with a string of tinsel tied around his neck is another lovely image. I feel like Crookshanks provides a lot of very very wonderful imagery in this chapter and this book generally i feel like i always wish that we got more crookshanks in later books because mm-hmm. i feel like he's like in the background but like i mean he's clearly very present in this book for a reason but i'm always kind of like hermione really loves her cat and we really love him like mm-hmm. yeah i agree it would have been nice if he'd stayed more of a like present secondary character right he's clearly super smart this has to have come in handy more times than in this book but whatever i just think it's very precious that harry keeps his photo album of his parents in his like bedside table mm-hmm. it's very precious and sad yeah i liked i like that this comes up again because i don't feel like that photo album comes up very frequently so i did appreciate that the way that it comes up in this chapter does a good job of indicating how precious to him it is um just by like how 
easily accessible it is versus like you know the sneakoscope which is another gift that he was given that he like accidentally discovers in his trunk later in the chapter mm-hmm. or earlier this chapter the timeline of this chapter is gone from my brain i feel like it's i feel like it's kind of slippery because even when i was writing my summary i'm like wait no they only go to christmas at the end of this chapter which is before when they talk to hagrid and i'm just like wait put your mic up to this cat <laughs> or the cat up to the mic even better are you going that way because you annoyed that i picked you up how you're dare gonna come, you you're gonna come back this way asmring Hi. Oh my god, this cat is so lovely. Yeah, Odie's a very good boy. Listeners, are you appreciating this cat per ASMR we're giving you? <laughs> I'm leaving it in. I'm just going to loop it, and that's going to be the Patreon bonus. It's just like five <laughs> minutes of cat per ASMR. <laughs> I feel like... I guess I don't know if we were recording. I feel like we did the same with Toshi in one of our very first few episodes. Yeah, but it didn't pick up. I don't know why. This is much louder, I think. I had to listen a lot harder. I know, he's like a foot from the mic and it's still very loud. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, so I want to talk about foreshadowing. Okay. Because we get a lot of it. Really good. Really good foreshadowing. Um, So many things that happen in this chapter that are relevant later. Yeah. Obviously the broom being sent by Sirius, as you alluded to in the intro. The sneakoscope, right? Uh, the amazing line, unless Scabbers had powers he had never revealed, which, mm-hmm. right, like golf clap, like excellent, excellent yeah. work. Yeah. However, Lupin not having been in the hospital wing when he was supposed to be ill is not foreshadowing because Lupin is a grown adult who has his own chambers at the school where he doesn't share a room with anyone presumably has his own bathroom and when grown-ups are sick they don't stay in like the shared hospital wing with children they stay in their own rooms it kind of works as foreshadowing like for the kids because it would never occur to them maybe but like functionally this is irritating yeah i mean it's like yeah there's we're never given any sense there are private rooms in the hospital it's just basically like you're in a giant room and there's curtains and it's like no no thanks right exactly also doesn't make any sense considering magic but right agreed but so backstepping the foreshadowing um what what else what more is there to say about it if anything I, have a couple, oh, I think I have at least one thing to say, which is I've always loved the bit where like Ron is like, my dude, don't go after Sirius. Do you know they had to give his mom his medal and a finger in a box? The only thing they could find of him. And then it's like, and you don't think that's going to come back. And then you're just like, oh shit. Like that is how, and it's just like, I don't know why that part is. I love that part so good, but it's just, it's so brilliant. Cause you're just like, that is basically an airtight alibi about, like, faking your own death, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, also very hardcore, but I'm just like... And it just it, and it's just it just goes in so well that you would, like... You're just like, right, Ron, of course, here's these things. Yeah, 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 you're right. I think I'm good on front page. I have a couple other things. Okay. 
What is the question to you? Which is, is it peak Leo to disclose your trauma to win a fight? Because this is what Harry does twice in this chapter in the same conversation. And I'm like, damn, that's rude as fuck. Mm -hmm. But also I'm like, it also works. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is very Leo for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like reading it. I'm just like, damn. <laughs> I know. He, and that really is um, a pattern for Harry. Harry does that a lot throughout the series, which is, I mean, very effective arguing where it's like well what the fuck am i supposed to say to that <laughs> you really you really can't say anything to that you can't and i'm like it does work <laughs> so i only have a few more things okay um one of them is i know we're keeping track but this year harry does not receive a shitty gift from the dursleys but also apparently not gifts from ron or hermione either hmm because he only gets the package from Molly and the broom. Interesting. It just seems weird that Ron and Hermione would forget to get him a thing. Well, he doesn't seem to have gotten them anything either. That's true. That's weird. Yeah. Um. Speaking of these gifts, Harry and Ron are like, oh, I wonder what this could be. What else would be in a narrow broom-length <laughs> package? I mean, that's... I'm just... It's... I'm annoyed by the like three paragraphs of like, oh, I wonder what this could be. Dudes. My dudes. It's a fucking broom, obviously. Yeah. Um, this, this is the second time that you've had this rant. The first time he got a broomstick. Oh, yeah. When McGonagall was like, don't open it at the table. I feel, <laughs> I feel like there's another rant in here that I think I've had before. It's just to stop me if I have. No, I like uh, it when you're angry about things more than once, so I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> um, speaking of brooms, uh, McGonagall mentions that Flitwick and Hooch will have to do some analysis of what the fuck's going on with Harry's broom. So, like, is Hooch's, like, broom knowledge, like, kind of like dykes who are mechanics and ha or have, like, car knowledge? Or is it just, like, Hooch is really good at charms? I don't, I'm just, like, trying to figure out. Because I just love the idea of, like, who's being like, oh, yeah, you know, pop up in the meta metaphorical trunk or however the fuck broomstick magic works. Right. I wondered that also. So let's think about this. We are assuming that she is a former professional Quidditch player. Yep. Which we decided on a Patreon exclusive. So this is news to the listeners who are oh, not right. also patrons. But patrons, yeah, that's what we've decided. She's, she's I mean, clearly... God damn it, what are words? <laughs> Whoever is listening right now and is not a patron, we are under the assumption that she used to play Quidditch professionally. Of course, on the, what is it, the Hollyhead Harpies, the uh -huh. all-ladies Quidditch team, because gay. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's the WNBA of, like, the witching world. Definitely. Although, from what we see, the limited amount that we see of them, I almost feel like it's more like the roller derby of the witching world because they do seem to be all, like, very, like, punk, badass, alt-rock, like, style ladies. You know, 
That that does make sense because I feel like I could see Ginny being a roller derby girl. So I feel like one thousand <laughs> percent. Uh. Okay, but who? So, so I mean, maybe, maybe you just like learn some rudimentary broom like magic skills when you're playing professionally so that you can like repair mid game if you have to or something maybe she thought about going into the broom business before she decided to coach children's quidditch (laughs) Uh, i'm not totally sure why she would have that knowledge set because it's like definitely not a given that like someone who coaches a sport is an expert on creating the equipment unless hooch is one of those people who like in her hogwarts chambers has like a bunch of like classic brooms she's like refurbishing or whatever it calls when you're like working on old cars restoring them yeah yeah because she would be that dyke yeah definitely she would also like ride a like 1955 classic you know cadillac of brooms that everyone's like that's worth like fifty thousand dollars you definitely should not ride that and she's like brooms are meant to be ridden like (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah oh maybe if i was drinking alcohol i could come up with some fun names for like classic brooms but i cannot so maybe one day awesome okay Good talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I have one last front page. Okay. Which is hashtag Hermione is always right. You're not wrong. Hermione is right about every goddamn thing in this chapter. And Harry's like, why Why do you gotta, you know, not want me to die in this potentially cursed broom? Why you gotta like harsh my mellow, Hermione? There's definitely a part where she is described as saying something shrilly and it's like my dude Hermione is like crying at the idea of you being murdered like the fuck yeah um so fun fact I once spent an inordinate amount of time skimming the books for every description of someone exclaiming something in all seven books and you will maybe not be surprised to hear that male characters shout yell bellow roar female characters shrill shriek uh scream Maybe just those three. And you can you can keep an eye out with me for oh, this I believe you. fun thing as we move through. It's really the most obvious time to look at it is in the fight scene in book five uh, in the ministry because we have sort of like an equal number of male and female characters and it's like everybody's yelling and so it's like every other line you get someone doing something and it is like so consistent 
and it's which is i mean obviously horrible because gender but also i cannot believe i will i will not believe for a minute that ron is not often shrill definitely and I, I think maybe the thing that's like the most bothersome to me about it is that there are negative connotations to all of the words that she uses to describe what the female characters' voices do, right? Mm-hmm. Shrill, shrieking, like, you know what fucking shrieks? Banshees. Screaming, even. I mean, screaming is less than maybe the, the rest, but like, those all have negative connotations and those words are never and it's so annoying because like i feel like screaming and yelling are like kind of different things and i feel like when you're in like a fucking battle and you're like casting spells left and right you're screaming a lot of them regardless of who you are or how you identify so i don't know especially when you're against grown ass witching clan members trying to kill you it's like totally Everyone is shrill because that's literally frightening. Everyone is yelling because try not to die, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like such a weird fucking thing to gender, you know? Such an annoying and frankly like lazy way of just being like, okay, I get it. You're a writer. You're trying to mix up the words of how people are saying the words. You could use a variety of words for everyone that don't have to be so gendered. Right. Anyway, so now that we've gotten really political, you want to go to the politics section? Yeah, just if if you're uh, writers out there, just keep an eye out on the way on the words that you use to describe the ways of people and how gendered that might be. That's yeah, all. don't let your subconscious accidentally take you somewhere you don't actually want to go. Yeah. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. So many fucked up, so much fucked up shit in this goddamn chapter. This chapter is not that long and it's just like, holy motherfucking shit. What, like, what? Yeah. Can we talk about Harry's trauma? Yes. Since that's sort of where we start, right? Yeah. We have the first line of this chapter, Harry is dissociated. He spends the next several pages showing us, like, anxiety spirals, insomnia, obsessive rumination. He has inappropriate outbursts at his friends. Harry is in a serious, serious state of trauma right now. Yes, you are correct. Uh, And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know what the, how, what the... How you could have this conversation, but someone should have fucking told Harry before him surprise finding out. I don't care who, I do care how, but like, it should have fucking happened. And then it could be like, I mean, I guess I don't even know who, because like, who would even be like, who could have told Hagrid and then also been able to like, take care of him afterwards? Because I feel like no matter how he would find out, there would still be some of this like intense trauma response going on you know yeah you just said haggard when you met harry i think which i'm assuming means that your instinct is that haggard would be a good person to tell him yeah i think haggard is maybe 
the only person I could see being good at, like, taking care of Harry through his response to that news. But considering her response to even recounting the story in last chapter, I don't think Hagrid would be able to tell Harry the whole thing without her also sort of reliving the trauma of, like, finding him and, like, having, you know, known, like, Sirius and uh, Lily and James. So, like, maybe not the ideal person to actually tell him, but... I agree. It's... Harry needs a therapist. <laughs> like, really badly. I mean, I feel like the only logical person is Dumbledore. But... I don't know, but, like, Harry is right. You are right. Someone should have told him this information. He he should have, like, gotten the whole story. I mean, I think they... And it's hard to say, because I don't think they would actually do it, but I kind of feel like Arthur and Molly should have told him because they're like removed enough where they're like not like utterly torn up about having to like even talk about this but also would be able to adequately care for a distressed child yeah so um but i don't i don't think i think they would probably think that that was not their place to do so unfortunately right it's like i don't know sometimes when there's a kid in need and there is no right person. Anyone who feels equipped to do the thing is the right person, you know? It's yeah, like, like better than no one. Yeah, Harry's a straight up orphan. Like, like who who the fuck is gonna tell him this shit? You know? Right. So And I don't think I don't think anyone is even assuming that Petunia could have told him because I don't think she knows. I am assuming she doesn't know any of this, any of these details. Yeah, I mean, she probably wouldn't have even ever met Sirius unless she was at their wedding, which is in itself, I guess, a bit of a question mark. No, Harry would totally tell us if he saw Petunia in the wedding pictures. Yeah. I, actually, I have a whole thing in editorial about the album itself, but okay. so I don't want to get into it just yet. So most of my politics is about Azkaban and Hagrid, but I have a couple of things about Buckbeak that I would like to talk about before we get into all of that. Let's do it. Alright. Hagrid gets a letter from the School of Governors about them wanting the case of Buckbeak to go to this animal murdering squad or whatever the fuck they're called. And I'm actually deeply upset that of all of the fucked up things that happen at the school this is the one thing the school the, the board of governors gets involved in and i don't know what a board of governors does in this in like this sort of boarding school situation but they are clearly doing their job utterly wrong <sighs> so do you think that they i mean here's here's a thing i am pretty sure that we have only and will only see the Board of Governors do anything when Lucius Malfoy tells them to. Oh, yeah. I mean, totes. Like, this is totally like, he was like, oh, no, y'all. Like, we need to take care of this right the fuck now. But I'm just, and I get that. Maybe he's bribing them. Maybe he's threatening them again. Whatever the fuck he's doing, they're in his pocket. But they're not doing anything else that doesn't relate to Draco Malfoy. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I mean, I that's what I, I think they would not have done anything about this if Lucius wasn't there. I think they just would, they are like, we don't give a flying fuck. Like, whatever. This is a volunteer position. I'm not doing jack shit. I guess that makes sense in the context of how awful a school Hogwarts is. Right. So, yeah. I, yeah, it's like a whole a whole thing where it's like only if like the wealthy kids parents complain does this board decide to do anything about anything which honestly maybe is is sort of how it is in real life i don't know there are not many boarding schools in the u.s i don't think i know anyone who went to a boarding school so like i don't know how this shit works but that does make sense to me yeah i feel like their monthly meetings are probably just like going to a pub and hanging out say they did it i don't know yeah they're really bad at their jobs i and sort of in that same vein uh everyone at the ministry who will be deciding buckbeak's fate also in lucius malfoy's pocket this dude he is a real fucking menace I mean, like so many other, like so many other terrible rich dudes, he is all up in the government, making sure that things go go his way. Yep. So. It's 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 like you you've even like taken the time to like grease the pockets. Is that what they say? Uh, line the pocket. Bribe. I think it's line. I think it's line the pockets. Uh. Of, like, the people on the committee for the disposal of dangerous creatures? Like, that is... Okay, but, like, I feel like all the people who work there, it's probably all dudes, they're probably, like, real weird and creepy and have, like, a bunch of taxidermy, but not, like, in a cool way, like, in a vaguely, like, creepy, menacing way. Mm-hmm. It probably didn't take much, honestly, for him to be, like, line their pockets or offer them the chance to kill something. I don't know. Yeah. Also, I guess he probably has, like, a bunch of dirt on, like, tons of people. So some of it might not even be, like, I helped you get elected. Some of it might just be, like, I haven't told so-and-so what I know about your bad behavior. You know what just occurred to me? Hmm. Because witches live so long, unless you're, like, murdered or, like, get a pox or something, you know everyone you went to school with and everyone is going to have all this dirt on you just by virtue of like I've known you for like a hundred years like yeah. that is awful that is awful <laughs> I would need to move I need to be like you know what y'all I'm just gonna check out the rest of these here countries and yeah. people that I don't know that I haven't known since I was 11 yeah Ugh, definitely yeah uh, but specifically with this doesn't the executioner become a death eater don't we see him as a death eater later yeah yeah uh mcnair i think or maybe yeah. he was always a, always a death eater i think that he pro yeah i think that he was a death eater before so in this case like at least that one we know exactly what lucius has on him yeah or maybe he's just appealing to i don't know the being a terrible death eater monster like you like to kill things? I got a thing for you to kill. Yeah, that too. Uh, which actually leads me into my next point, which is, and I understand why, but like, where is the like animal rights people? Where is the like, you know, 
ASPCA of the witching world. And I think Hagrid's to start one. That should be her new job. She should leave Hogwarts and open up an animal rescue. Oh, no. Definitely. <laughs> Which, of course, when we think of just like Hagrid in a, like, <laughs> in a commercial where Sarah McLaughlin's back in the background, just like for pennies a day, you too can help buy meat for these abandoned thestrals. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she has a Thestral under one arm. Oh, man. You know how at, like, rescues like that, they're, like, that's where you're always getting the, like, unlikely companion, like, YouTube videos of, like, you know, a duck and a fucking tiger that are best friends and, like, mm-hmm. do everything together. Can you imagine how great Hagrid's fucking animal sanctuary YouTube channel would be oh where it's God. like this dragon and this like Niffler are best friends and the Niffler rides the baby dragon around and in the sky all day and then they cuddle together to go to bed just so <laughs> it would be so good there's like videos of like Fang like sleeping just covered in like, i don't know baby hippogriffs that are like pulling on his ears and tail oh god yes <laughs> i would watch that in a heartbeat see i don't know why they're wasting time making whatever kind of movies they're making when they could clearly just be making this this is the <laughs> this movie would be so much better like you want to give us a movie called fantastic beasts please make <laughs> fantastic beasts be the name <laughs> Of Hagrid's Animal Sanctuary. Oh, my God. oh yes! It totally <laughs> would be! So, oh Fantastic Beasts and Other Interesting Creatures. Right. So sweet. Oh, I want it. I also want it desperately. <sighs> I'm like a little teared up. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly the Mercury Retrograde talking. That's all. That's totally fair. Or Pisces season also, I don't know. Yeah, it's Mercury retrograde in Pisces, and I am a Pisces, so it's like all feelings all the time over here. Yeah, I don't know if you saw Chenny Nichols' post about Pisces and Pisces season. It was very funny. I'm going to look it up right now on the air. It's going to be great. If you do that, you should read it on air then. I'm going to. (laughs) Welcome Pisces season. Cry in public. Fall in love with terrible people. Feel the pain of the world. Forget where you were going, but get there anyways. Daydream as an extensive, as an extreme sport. Try to save every suffering being instead of working on yourself. Life is short. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> this is so perfect. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cherry Nichols is a gem. Truly. Anyway. Anyway. Shh. So, uh, Hagrid and Azkaban, we are now on to the meat of our politics section, our awful rotten meat of the politics section, which is anyone injuring Hagrid in any kind of way. Yeah, I'm like extremely in my feelings about this. So can you start? Yes. Great. All right. So I guess I am going to start off with, which again, maybe I brought up, but why the fuck are there no public defenders 
or lawyers in this goddamn world. I mean, Hagrid being put in Azkaban when she was innocent. Also, she now has to like have three literal children help her <laughs> on a case, on like her like legal case to like save Buckbeak's life. Good on like Harry and Ron and Hermione, but she needs some like legal assistance. <laughs> Literally anything. Yes. Sidebar, lol, you're like, I think I brought this up and it's like the name of our what? third episode is Akio legal defense or something. Okay, listen. We have ranted uh, extensively about this. It, I just, it never, I just, I just, every book it comes up and I'm just like, for fuck's sake. We have to rant about it every time it's relevant. I just thought it was funny that it's the name of an episode and you were like, I don't remember if we've talked about this Okay, before. listen, we've recorded so many episodes. So many episodes. Okay, okay. Yes, especially because, like, no, the, all of it is especially because, like, so Hagrid is not good at public speaking. She gets really flustered, and it's completely and totally unfair and unjust that her only option is to be buckbeak's sole defense in this situation and i don't know it's like horrible is it also like despite i mean okay so the witching world needs public defenders but as a school matter shouldn't it be like fucking dumbledore or like someone else in the school there also even that i think would have made a difference you know, and this has always bothered me because, I mean, she says like, oh, I can't bother Dumbledore, but it just seems so unlikely that like Dumbledore and McGonagall wouldn't offer to go represent her. Yeah. Because they love her. I don't know. Like, why? You're right. That is real weird and like fucked up. McGonagall would be such a good lawyer. I mean... Yeah, right. She doesn't even have to study law. She would just be like, your argument is wrong. Well, no, she just, I mean, that's pretty much law. But yeah, <laughs> McGonagall would make an excellent barrister, as we're called in the UK. <laughs> she would just rip people down and be like, this is why your argument fucking sucks for my client. And it'd be great. Yeah. I would, I would watch that show. Yep, definitely. She does have strong Judge Judy vibes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which we can definitely talk about later in this chapter. Uh, I mean, maybe this is why the governors only sent Hagrid a letter and not to Dumbledore, which I think probably would have made more sense if it's like, so one of the teachers, this happened in in a class, but in un, in your school as mm-hmm. headmaster, he probably should have only, he should have been notified maybe and like they could have like copied uh, Hagrid. Like, sent Hagrid a version of this. Like, sending it only to Hagrid is suspicious and fucked up. You're right. Yeah, it's not like... I mean, it is like they're her pets, but, like, it's not technically... They belong to the school. They don't belong to Hagrid. Right, and if they don't belong to the school, like, maybe they're just wild creatures that Hagrid's like, I'll give you some free food if you hang out with these students. I don't know. This is still a school matter and not, like, right... 
It's not like Draco stumbled into Hagrid's yard and like this was like her personal property. It's like this is on school grounds during a class. Right. The school is run so fucking terribly. I hate it. Yeah, it's no good. You want to talk about Hagrid's relationship to Azkaban? <sighs> yeah. I feel like I feel like you might have more about this cuz I feel like I was just like Oh yeah, all this, all of your depression just sounds, I mean, very relatable. I'm like, yep, definitely it felt like this in my life. But yes, let's talk specifically about how Azkaban is a literal suicide prison. It's, so I think, uh, okay, I have a lot of feelings about this. So I guess, all right, so the fact that she won't free Buckbeak because she's terrified of breaking the law is so it's so fucked Jesse it's so fucked like you don't go to fucking Azkaban for freeing a hippogriff presumably we don't know what gets anyone put in Azkaban but like probably not right but who knows who knows how any of the laws work in this fucked up society and it's (sighs) it is it's like it's the saddest thing that Hagrid is like, I just, I can't do it. I'm like, oh no. It, I know, right. Because like how terrible must it be to have instilled this level of fear in her? It's, oh my God. I mean, but I feel like it makes sense. It's like, okay, having chronic depression means that like, there are some things that happen in my life that like cause me to be depressed, but it's really like a kind of a crapshoot. But this mm-hmm. is like, if I go to this place, I'm going to feel like I want to stop living like that. I, that I don't like, of course you don't want to fucking do that. Yeah. And like three months of that. And it just makes me very suspicious. Cause I feel like this is what the ministry wants is that I'm sure a ton of people either just like stop eating or like, actively commit suicide at Azkaban. And they're probably just like, well, not our problem anymore. And just brush their hands off of the whole thing. And it's so, it's so fucked. This is like, this is literally a crime against humanity is happening. Yeah. And they're, and they're just like, whatever. They don't even double check to make sure that they're like, we got the right guy. Even though there's like literal effective truth serums. You can read people's thoughts. You can dump their memories into a bowl and be like, oh, clearly you weren't at the site of this murder. Or like, oh, obviously you didn't have, you didn't open up the fucking chamber of secrets. But no, it's just like, oh, we'll throw you in Azkaban for a while till we figure this out. No. No. Figure out the goddamn fucking truth. Figure out the truth and then still don't put guilty people in the torture prison. Well, yes dismantle Azkaban, throw all those rocks into the sea. Just, I don't know, however you need to get rid of Dementors. This is what this council of disposal of dangerous creatures should be doing. They should be fucking killing all these goddamn Dementors. I agree. Because if there's a hundred at Hogwarts, they still gotta have a fuckton back at Azkaban. That is too many nightmare creatures. Y'all need to take care of that. Seriously. I wonder if you can kill a Dementor. I don't know. I bet you can't. That's troublesome. Yeah. 
You could always put him in a box. Yeah. Yeah. Put him in a box. Put the box at the bottom of the ocean. Right. Like uh, Davy Jones. Yes. I was going to say Jumanji, but also yes. I'm actually pretty sure this is an episode of Doctor Who where all of the Daleks have been in a weird pocket dimension box. Isn't that the Doctor that's in the box? I thought it was the Daleks that were in the box. There might be more than one box. Anyway. I'm sure there there are multiple boxes. Amy was in a box. Daleks (laughs) were in a box. The Doctor is in a box. They're always flying in a box. This is just... <laughs> I mean... Watch, watch Doctor Who, y'all. It's a lot more fun than I think I'm describing <laughs> Oh, God. Oh. Anyway, send, send the Dementors somewhere where they're put... Right. Put them in a box. They can all fit in two. Never look at the box again. Problem solved. Yeah. Transfigure them into like bricks. I don't know. Then build an underground layer. Whatever. Trap Some... them in a tree, like in Fern Gully. <laughs> Dementors oh. and Hexus are very similar creatures. <laughs> are they the same creature? It's been a really long time since I've I'm seen I'm gonna Fern go Gully. with no, just because like Hexus is better than a Dementor because it... Hexus is voiced by Tim Curry. <laughs> so. Why am I not at all surprised by that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure Tim Curry also voiced the villain in the cartoon Mighty Max. He was just the 90s go-to villainous voice. Yeah. For obvious reasons. But, like... You guys, Ferngully is such a good movie. It's been so long since I watched that movie. Robin Williams is also in that. That's, like, my dream cast. Those are, like, my two favorite people to watch in a movie. And they're both in that movie. Even though it's a cartoon, so I'm technically just listening to them. Anyway. But still. Yes. I was very deeply obsessed with, about the rainforest and deeply upset about it being cut down when I was a child. Yeah, so. they really they really fucking programmed us in elementary school to be, like, very single-mindedly like all of the tender kids it was like all we can think about is the goddamn rainforest they did a very good job they i don't know who they is but you know whoever 90s u.s education mm-hmm. yeah i mean right a tender-hearted child was very concerned about all of the animals in the rainforest and how it was just being cut down mm-hmm. tons at it and it's still concerning because like the whole world's on fire anyway Back I, to this terrible on fire world. <laughs> yes. And, right. We're like, it's sad. I don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about <laughs> something else. <laughs> Which, fair. Um, uh, real quick, just that one of Hagrid's terrible thoughts that happen when she's near the Dementors is about releasing Norbert. It's one of her top three saddest moments. I cannot. Like, she, she wanted it- that dragon forever and then it <sighs> someone give Hagrid a fucking dragon like I don't give a fuck if it's like oh you can't hide dragons from muggles they're too uncontrollable and fucking huge I don't care give Hagrid a fucking dragon yeah just give it to her you you're in the forbidden forest you can teach him learn about dragons apparently you can use dragon's blood for 18 million things anyway 12. let there be a live ass dragon at Hogwarts <laughs> I, they can afford it. <laughs> agreed. 100%. And it, there has to be 
there has to like given Charlie Weasley's job, there's like a retired dragon sanctuary somewhere. And like there has to be at least one like dragon heart style dragon out there who's like different from the rest and bonded with humans and you know, just needs like someone to love it as in its like final, you know, hundred years, presuming that dragons live for like thousands of years, right? And like Hagrid could just, you know, hang out with it. There's gotta be a few, I'm sure, old dragons that are like, I'm not gonna move from wherever dragons like to nest at. I'm just gonna sleep and Hagrid can just like take care of this like old dragon. That would mm-hmm. be adorable. Exactly. See, yes. this would be this would be the driving plot in our far superior version of Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> yeah. Of Hagrid of Hagrid trying to rescue a like three hundred year old dragon that just wants to like sleep and like eat. Mm-hmm. And is not dangerous to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It's 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 so one of the top three traumatic things. I just I I just I can't. It's it's so upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um anything else specifically about Hagrid and Dementors or Azkaban? Oh, uh just that all these Dementors around are clearly causing Hagrid to have a depressive episode. Mm-hmm. And it's very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Because, um, like, I mean, she, she's describing how it feels to be at Azkaban, but also just, like, all this stress that she's under. And, like, I mean, she's she's like, I just haven't felt like myself lately. And I'm like, okay, yeah, mood. <laughs> because mm-hmm. depression. Again, it's like, why is it anyone out there just, like, occasionally shooting off Patronuses to, like, keep the Dementors away or something? Someone, for love of God, help Hagrid in her depression because there's no fucking therapy here. Yeah. It's, I hate it. I just yeah, hate it so much. Everything about everything about Hagrid here is very sad, and it's, <sighs> fuck this whole place. Another thing that I hate, though, is this recurring thing that Harry says about how Azkaban isn't punishing Sirius because Sirius hasn't been driven insane. Is, I mean, one, absolutely inappropriate litmus for whether or not someone is suffering. Two, look at Sirius. Like, this is clearly someone who has been tortured. Clearly someone who is being starved. Like, he's not being adequately fed. He doesn't just look gaunt and skeletal because of the sadness of Dementors, like he's also malnourished and, and not being given appropriate food. Three, that also is an inappropriate form of punishment, even if that alone is what was happening to him, minus the Dementors, which do affect him, just like haven't affected him to the point where he's like completely lost all of his mental faculties. I am... I guess the the moral of this rant is that I'm very angry at Harry and I honestly like don't give a flying fuck how upset he is with Sirius Black like it is it is fucked up for him to be like no I actually have to murder him because sending him back to torture prison isn't 
enough because he isn't tortured as severely as everyone else in torture prison. Like, it would be enough if he suffered as much as everyone else, but it's not. And you're totally right. I actually, I've not, I didn't, I did find it uncomfortable whenever Harry would bring it up in this chapter. And especially because Harry has only briefly encountered Dementors and it has fucked his shit up. And so then to assume that like 12 years of that like hasn't affected Sirius is, it is, it is very ridiculous. And I think part of it is that at this point, because Harry has heard that, you know, being at Azkaban hasn't caused a complete breakdown of Sirius's mental capabilities that he somehow like it almost makes him seem like less human and more like monstrous you know and I feel like Harry is not thinking of Sirius as a person in this chapter you know Mm. he's become like the super predator or like whatever fucked up shit people say about like you know people who have done atrocious things right 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 So. so it's like Oh, hi, Scruffs. Are you doing some ASMR? <laughs> so many SMR cuts in this, for, this, for this chapter. His voice is so deep. Don't worry about it. I don't know what your brother's on about. I think that you're right. I think that you're right. And I, I think that I am failing to like... I mean, I still it's still a shitty thing that Harry is doing. Like, I don't think my point negates the fact that he is being real shitty. Yeah, I think it's like, I, mm, oh my God, words come out of my mouth. (sighs) Okay, so I like move through the world with an excess of empathy, right? Like the reason that I can't watch like scary movies is not because I'm afraid of the monster it's because i over identify with the people being harmed by the monster and that's like too damaging for my psyche right so i think that it's hard for me to get in the mindset that i think harry is in where he probably isn't thinking of serious as like a person worthy of empathy in the same way that I can't get in the mindset of someone who's like well that person did enough terrible things like so they deserve the death penalty right Mm -hmm. I just I I just like can't go there and I think that sometimes my inability to do things like that leads to me having a failure of empathy for toward the people who are like not showing the kind of empathy that I experience, which is a no, funny that, thing. No, that makes sense. I, I think that makes sense. Cause I definitely have, I have very little patience for people who like could show, could, could offer empathy, but don't, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Which happens a lot on the internet and it just is infuriating. <laughs> But also, like, just in, in in life in general. But it's it's very hard to have empathy for people who aren't exercising it. When it's like, okay, but you... What? Yeah, and I think that that's, like, 
it's totally not on topic of the book, but like, I think that they're sort of rooted in the same place where it's like a kind of black and white thinking where it's like, there's right and there's wrong, which makes it really easy to have empathy for people as a whole. Right. And like in situations be like this, doing this to an individual is wrong. Therefore, like regardless of the faults of the individual, like I have empathy for them, but then it's also wrong not to feel that way. And so then when people fail to do that, it's like, well, you have now entered the wrong category. (laughs) And so you've like, in my binary way of thinking about the world, you're like on the side with Azkaban, like in the things that are wrong category. So now I don't have any empathy for you. Oh, this is a thing I work on in therapy. Guess what, Lark? Shades of gray exist. I think think part of it is that I guess I always hope that, like, people will open their eyes and be receptive to, like, hey, this is a thing you should care about and here's why. And people mean, like, I guess I believe in people's ability to change their mind. Totally. When presented with reason, like, new information and, like, a new way of looking at it, which isn't always possible i don't know i have i'm very much an eternal optimist which is often i'm always just like but why though (laughs) see no i think that i think that that's that so it's like even if you've like thrown out a group as a whole that doesn't mean that you've thrown out the individuals that make up the group which i think can be really confusing for people where it's like did you vote for trump I throw out the Trump voters as a whole, but if an individual Trump voter came to me and was like, I'm willing to engage in a conversation about why what I did was wrong and whether or not I should change in the future, would I talk to that person? 100%. And those are, I think, different things. We've okay. somehow entered philosophy. I think that we should probably move on. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, I feel like it makes sense to me though, because... There is so much morality that happens in the series, and especially like Harry, like learning and growing as a like empathetic good person, you mm-hmm. know. And so like he he struggles with it, and then things that come up in this book, I feel that you know really there are things in this book that I think we just need to discuss philosophically because it comes up and yeah, we you're are, correct. We are we are, we are here to do the deep dives. Yes, I don't, I think that we maybe veered outside of the territory of the philosophy of this particular section, maybe, I don't know, but no, you're right, and and it is something that I think will keep coming up, because Harry doesn't really get on the right side of history when it comes to Azkaban, I don't think at any point in this series. I don't think anyone does, which is really unfortunate. Really is, yeah, yeah. Really? Really could use some uh, prison reform here in the witching world. I mean, you know, in my head canon, one of Hermione's first acts as minister was to put all the dementors in a box and bury them at the bottom of the ocean <laughs> and, you know, close Azkaban and implement some actual, like, rehabilitation systems you know, following the, is it Sweden that has like a 95% 
actual rehabilitation rate for its prisoners. One of those, you know, perfect countries uh, where their prisons are like actually just like a really lovely group home where people like have jobs and therapy and a sense of purpose and like their own room that has like real furnishings in it. Anyway, um, Hermione did that. Uh, Empty Azkaban is now a nesting site for endangered seabirds. Wait, what? I'm just, I'm saying, oh, uh, oh, oh. Af- after Hermione, after Hermione uh, put all the Dementors in the box, uh, Azkaban is just now uh, full of seabirds and they're, nest- they're nesting there. Is that what Alcatraz is? It is, right? Uh, I don't remember if Alcatraz, uh, Alcatraz is definitely a tourist spot. They do tourism there now. I know my mom got engaged there. Did I know this? I don't know, but it's really fucking weird. Yeah, that is... Yeah, that's definitely a thing. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there are seabirds that nest there because it is an island in the ocean, so... Yeah. I'm sure there are adorable pelicans there and shit. So here's the thing, is that we've been recording for an hour and 20 minutes and we've done two sections. <laughs> Do you have anything else in politics? I think I caught everything. Cool. <laughs> we had a lot of... We have a lot of feelings tonight. We really do. We still haven't talked about Christmas. I know. <laughs> okay, okay. Welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff. It's always really funny when we finish politics and enter editorials where it's like, we have been ranting about stuff, but now we're going to rant without crying, potentially, is the Yeah, difference. this is like... This is like lighthearted ranting and not these yes. politics are too real ranting. Yes. Correct. Okay, so I'm actually a little annoyed at Harry. He's had this photo album for a couple of years now. I'm sure there are tons of folks in there that he has no idea what they are. And he's like literally never asked anyone, even Hagrid, who any of these people are. It's clearly not labeled. Hmm. And I'm like, my dude, aren't you the, even the least bit curious who these randos who knew your your parents are? Do you think it's because it makes him sad or like he would be self-conscious asking about it because it would be emotional? Yes. But like, even ask Hagrid who created this awesome gift for you. Right. Because it also kind of makes me wonder that... Peter Pettigrew is probably in this album. Definitely. But I guess it's also weird because Lupin probably is too. And you would think he would have made the connection before the end of this book. That's totally true. I wonder how different Lupin looked. Because... I mean, I guess... 12, 13 years ago, he was like kind of fresh out of Hogwarts. Still like... I mean, he was in the Order of the Phoenix. So presumably like fed and clothed and housed and all kinds yep. of things that seem to have not been the case for him since since then yeah i mean inappropriate movie casting aside he does probably look not as physically abused as serious is but probably definitely much you know like worn down and maybe like not quite as healthy as he could be looking yeah though you're right i mean harry should still recognize him i don't think he 
could possibly look so different that maybe okay so you know you know how <clears throat> how like the people in like which photos are sort of like stuck in a in that like sentient but like trapped in a looping period of time or whatever but like seem to be like living their lives in there maybe Sirius and Lupin have been like in the back making out <laughs> and just like haven't really like come forward for Harry to look at <laughs> that's actually a very good explanation <laughs> <laughs> oh because they totally would You've got to get bored in a picture, right? Or not, because it's just, like, constantly the same thing and you don't remember it. I don't know. I mean, it does seem different than, like, what the portraits are doing. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love what, like, sort of the collective agreement about Sirius and Lupin's relationship that the fandom has decided upon it's like completely consistent throughout fandom like who they are and what kind of people they are and what they were like when they were at hogwarts and those people that we have decided they were would absolutely be like behind the wedding arch just like going at it yeah no totally um why don't these children have boots they sure do go to school nine months out of the year at a school in northern scotland where it snows a fuck ton and their socks and robes get wet and freezing when they have to walk outside which that's actually one of my points is that what is the what the fuck is the point of magic if you don't have like a waterproof charm on your shit like Gore-Tex we non-magical people have fucking Gore-Tex and waterproofing stuff like why are these kids getting right the hems of their robes and stuff sopping wet this is the problem that seems easily solvable it should be like that's a ridiculous problem to have and I am offended and they should be warm and dry and at the very fucking least, they should have some goddamn winter boots. Right. Like, if you can't do a spell to keep their socks from getting wet, you should at least require that they have boots. Because it snows there for, like, a lot of the year. Yeah. It is weird because it would make sense for, a, on a world-building standpoint, for there to be a sentence of, like, Hermione cast this charm so their stuff doesn't get covered in snow when they walk down to Hagrid's. Yeah, but she shouldn't have to. No, she shouldn't have to. I'm just, I'm actually a little bit angry at like, JKR is trying to set a scene that didn't need to be set like this. Totally, yeah. And yes, because these come up all the time, right? Where it's like, you put that in as world building, but like, you actually should have maybe put in about like, Harry being so happy that his like robes are waterproof you know because that would be way more believable and like less frustrating yeah yeah okay what's next as a continuation of our 
size proportions of Hagrid and the world around her. How big is her hut? Because I feel like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's like a like small, like cozy space. But it's still big enough that the kids don't notice a horse-sized hippogriff eating in her hut. Right. So it's a, it's a cozy space for Hagrid, who is twice as tall as a grown person. So, like, if we scale everything up, I mean, she's 12 feet tall. Like, her bed is minimum 13 feet long. And even if it's, a like, a twin, what is a twin is, like, 5 foot 5 long and, like, 3.5 wide or something like that. That's still, you have to, like, multiply that by three like it's a giant fucking bed moral of the story all of the things are giant and i so if you think about in the movie like how big the kids look scaled to her furniture that is scaled to her being i think nine or eight feet tall because the actual proportions that they would have had to do for her to be 12 feet tall are like it was like that it just wouldn't have worked like she's so fucking tall so i think for them it's quite a large space it's just not a large space for hagrid yeah that makes sense i guess i don't know why it didn't i feel like in my mind i was imagining like a a like 20 by 20 room but it would actually probably need to be much bigger a much bigger space definitely Anyway, yes, space. <laughs> what What is space in, in these books? What do you have next? Um, okay, so speaking of Hagrid and Buckbeak, Hagrid has been ordered to bring a hippogriff to London. To London... <laughs> This is a violation of the international statute of secrecy. <laughs> the fuck? Okay, wait. <laughs> Here we are. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine Hagrid trying to shove Buffy through the flu. So, right, is this hearing at the ministry? Do they get to London and then she has to fucking flush Buckbeak down the toilet <laughs> into the ministry? <laughs> oh my god. Wow, yeah, the logistics oh. of all of this is awful. It is so... Can you imagine... Can you imagine... So, like, uh, a person being sued for like a dog bite incident and it's like you and your dog come to court for trial <laughs> like we're gonna have to talk to the dog in question what are they, why does she have to take Buckbeak at all this is the silliest thing I don't how is she gonna get him there like this whole thing is ridiculous I guess reasonably the only way that makes sense is that Hagrid's taking the motorcycle and 
Buckbeak is flying next to her. And they're both invisible. Somehow. (laughs) 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 Oh my god. Maybe Um, maybe the minute Maybe the ministry is like a service entrance, like back door for non, for large creatures to get into the ministry. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Just saying also the whole, like, you have to bring this hippogriff from Hogwarts to the ministry scenario is the perfect let Buckby go free opportunity Cause like that's a long ass way to cart a hippogriff. Yep, he definitely could like disappear somewhere over the moors, and you couldn't catch him. You know, he's a hippogriff. So, do you think Hagrid could sustain that lie? No, that's why she can't let him go. Because <laughs> there's no way she would be able to pull off that level of like I don't I don't know what happened I, we were flying over the moors adjusted my compass on my bike and I turned back and there's no hippogriff that's true but 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 she does have in her corner the fact that she is a very awkward public speaker which automatically makes you seem guilty whether or not you are and everyone's gonna know that about her so that would be on her side until she like went and was drinking and telling everyone about how she freed Buckbeak and then the wrong person overheard. I mean, I don't blame her because because of bigotry against people who are part giant. They might just be like I, I wouldn't risk the, the the idea of them being like, well, fuck, I will throw you in Azkaban anyway. Because that shit could happen. That's true. Because right. clearly... Olive, so many witches hate anyone who is not a pure blood human witch. Yep. All right. What's next? Um, just my last point, which is again about the portraits. Uh, we have several different kind of portraits all getting wasted <laughs> with Sir Cadigan in his frame. And I'm just like, where is Booth coming from? And also, how many people are you fitting into this? Like, I'm just, as I am very confused. There's like 20 people in, in this his picture His frame, frame is very big. Because he's in a I mean, pasture. Yeah. So assuming they size proportionately to his picture, you could have like a fucking festival in Cadigan's <laughs> portrait. <laughs> It's just straight up Burning Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but this raises a question. Can you bring what are essentially props from one painting to the next? So like Cadigan doesn't have any booze painted into his portrait. So someone with booze in their portrait had to bring it. Probably the monks. Yes. His pony their... can go, but that's not an that's a, a lie. It's not an inanimate object. The monks could uh, strap like booze and barrels to his pony and bring it over. So you think that they so they can like move the inanimate objects from their portraits? 
That is the, I mean, it's the only thing that makes sense. Okay. So if that's true, (laughs) if I was in a painting at Hogwarts, I would spend all of my time reorganizing the like exterior stuff from all of the paintings in the whole castle and like distributing them where it's like, oh, did you want that bowl of fruit? the way that it was originally painted well the lemons on the seventh floor and the lime is in the basement and (laughs) i put the peach in the painting of that guy that you hate and just like all over just everywhere like put a weird chair somewhere that it just like totally doesn't belong and because that would just be so fun and great i'm also actually just imagining that like if you were a portrait like playing games with slash fucking with students to be Mm -hmm. like all right there is a dead pheasant from the still life on the seventh floor (laughs) somewhere in this castle and you have to find it oh my god can you imagine so assuming things change to fit the style of the portrait that they're in like taking a dead pheasant from you know a danish still life painting and then bringing it into like one of those fucking like brutal gothic paintings <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you could use it to like scare students. You just like hide right outside the frame and they're walking by and you're just like <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, that is This is this is something that should be like a Pixar short that's at the beginning of another Pixar movie where it's just like the secret life of the Hogwarts portraits and we get to see them like pranking each other and like doing pranking the students and doing all sorts of stuff. It would be so great. It actually makes me wonder if the headmaster's portraits I don't know. Are you like painted like a desk with a chair? Could you like have them like paint in some books for you or some like goblet of champagne or like something? So you're like, well, going to be here for all of eternity, but at least I got this here goblet of wine. Excellent point. You should definitely think ahead. Because I don't don't know if they ever describe the backgrounds of the headmaster's portraits. I'd want there to be at least a, like, armchair. Yeah, and a pet. Because they're always sleeping, and I'm like... They're always faking. They are always faking. They just pretend to sleep so that people will talk openly. Because they just are, like, fucking gossips because they're bored. (laughs) Like, they just are like, oh, I want the dirt. They won't... I mean, they get a lot of the dirt because they're in the headmaster's office, but it's probably... I imagine it is as if someone is like telling you secondhand work gossip and you don't know who these people are. But then if you're like, oh yeah, I want to see who Susan is with her like terrible husband, you know, yeah. like, and then you get to like see who these people are that you've been hearing about all year. And you're just like, oh. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We've scripted a lot of really great movies today. <laughs> someone forward us. 11 million no, you, this takes more. I don't know how much movies take anymore so many money <laughs> um, 
what are we doing it's either editorials health... yeah um yeah um that was my last editorial oh so we just have to acknowledge that we have to acknowledge ron's maroon sweater poor ron <sighs> poor fucking ron he does so good in this chapter and he still gets a fucking maroon sweater his mom remembered to give him the right kind of sandwich at the beginning of this book right and then she still can't figure out his favorite goddamn color welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school it's christmas and things are awkward welcome to hogwarts uh (laughs) do you want me to go first do you want to go first sure go first let's do it uh so there's like what like five professors here Mm -hmm. i just i'm curious if like the other professors if they were just if they have lives outside of the castle and people to see or if they were just like fuck these dementors i'm out (laughs) so i have the same question (laughs) i assume they have okay so here there's two options so we have the heads of houses and Sybil. Mm-hmm. Either these teachers have to stay because they each have at least one student who's stayed at the school and they're not allowed to leave, which is shitty. Or none of the heads of houses have extended family that they... Cause I don't care what anybody else wants to say. None of the Hogwarts professors who aren't married to each other are married. They live at the castle... That's how J.K. Rowling wrote it. That's what it is. We can't do anything about it. We know that Snape doesn't have shit else to do. Right. So so either these folks, none of them have extended family or they have to still be at the school. You know, McGonagall and Sprout are together. So it makes sense that they, but like, you know, they might have parents uncles cousins like people that they could be spending fucking yule with so i don't i don't know um but then it made me start like thinking about so it's like okay snape is honestly like a voluntary incel um because he's like not even fucking trying sybil is like in her own world McGonagall and Sprout are together. And I was like, okay, what's up with Flitwick, right? And that led me to the conclusion that I think that Flitwick has a person, and I think that that person is a dryad who lives in the Forbidden Forest. Because I feel like pixies and dryads go together. That'd be so cool! Yeah. Also seems very on brand for Flitwick. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Apparently a male dryad is called a druse. D-R-U-S. But I'm like, why? There's nothing gendered about the word dryad. So I'm using it as a non-gendered word. But Flitwick is queer. So, you know. Clearly. Maybe all dryads are non-binary. Anyway. Yes. Doesn't that just feel right? Yeah. I mean, Flitwick is clearly a dandy. (laughs) Yeah. And clearly part pixie. So like, yeah, that'd just be so cute. It would be. I love it. So you just took an adventure through like my bizarre like no, I love it. train of thought with me. Uh, uh, I, love, I, love, I love every second of that. I also appreciate 
what are words? I pre- I appreciate all of that is what I'm trying to say. Great. I just feel like I a little bit like derailed maybe where you were trying to go with your initial point. No, uh, I just, I really like the thing about Flitwick. That's, that's really great. What I don't like is where the fuck is Hagrid? She is so sad. Why is she? At, why isn't she at this Christmas di- this Christmas meal? Don't like that. Because I mean, it'd be fourteen, obviously, but like still. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, but it would have been so easy just to have like one of the heads of house not be there, or have there be less kids that would stay behind. Right. Or have, yeah. Um, maybe she is at an orphan Christmas gathering in Hogsmeade with like Rosemerta and Hooch and like the other local queers. Oh, maybe they're having a much better party than this. <laughs> Way better party because this party fucking sucks. Right. There's not the worst party. There's not even any alcohol it seems like, which is like you cannot have this many adults forced to be at a work Christmas event and not have booze. What the I fuck, know. Dumbledore? It is just outlandish. Like, this is the worst fucking party. I mean, okay. they So they do say it's a lunch, which hopefully means it's during the day. Maybe this means that all of them are just going to go down to Hogsmeade and get wasted with Hooch later. Yeah, that makes sense. Dumbledore's like, we're going to have this party at 2 o'clock in the afternoon so we can all go to the bar later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the Hogshead is closed and like Rosemerita is having like a private event for like her queer chosen family. Yeah. Right. Which includes all of these, not Snape, but yeah. Snape was, yeah. Even if he (laughs) was invited, he wouldn't go. Snape was like obligation invited and declined. Yeah. Which happens like every year, probably. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) The year that he goes, they make a fucking like, Oh, God, Mark. You know, Scrooge movie about it. Christmas Carol? Yeah. They make a a special Christmas Carol movie about Snape going to the party, like when Scrooge shows up to his nephew's party. This joke would have been way better if it had happened without me pausing for like 20 minutes to try and think of words. You're going to cut that, that, they're going to cut that silence out. It's going to sound great. The magic, the magic I'm gonna, of editing. I'm gonna leave it. I'm just gonna <laughs> like 45 seconds. <laughs> oh god. Okay. Um. What else? Uh. The vulture hat. Oh my god. <laughs> this chapter. This bit of this chapter is the only bright spot because so many funny things happen. It's, oh my god, it is packed and it is so good. It's so good. Like, McGonagall's nonstop shade at Trelawney is so We have to perfect. talk about this. We have to talk about this. <laughs> Jesse. Okay, but no. Look look at me. Look at me through your computer. I'm looking I need at to you. ask you a question. Okay. Are McGonagall and Trelawney exes? Oh. Right? Wow, that makes so much sense. This has X 
girlfriend written <laughs> all over it. Everything about this interaction. Hi, Rufio. He just let himself back in. <laughs> okay. Yes, they are exes. I feel like the relationship probably didn't last super long. Maybe like no more than a year. And McGonagall just was too fed up with Sybil's <laughs> woo-woo bullshit. And not even like the normal kind of divination like astrology and like tarot. Those, those things are real. But like McGonagall being like, if you knew we had to leave, couldn't you have foreseen this incident happening so we could have been on time? I feel like she she like extra doesn't believe in divination now as like out of spite towards Trelawney. And I agree with you that it wasn't like a super long relationship, but I feel like they it was a very queer relationship. It was like very intense, very quickly. And, like, they broke up, but then they kept fucking for God knows how long. Like, probably until Minerva and Sprout hooked up. And Sybil is still like, well, the fuck? You know, who else am I? I'm, like, stuck in this goddamn tower and Dumbledore won't let me leave the school. <laughs> I just feel like it's it was, like, short but very intense and fraught. And it's been, like... 14 years and they're still just like picking at each other and for sure every time there's an interaction like this like McGonagall and Sprout leave and Sprout is like the fuck <laughs> like especially after this where Sprout is like in front of the students Minerva <laughs> right like get a- we have been married for 12 years like can you not let this go <laughs> yes this is exactly what's happening it's just everything Trelawney says McGonagall has a smart ass thing to say about it yeah and also the way that like Trelawney drops her persona when it but only when it comes to McGonagall she's like I am fucking done with you like don't even it oh yeah which, totally which, yes this is my this is my new headcanon for this 100 percent. this adds another really good layer to the bit in the fifth book exactly when mcgonagall's like oh no only i get to fuck with only i get to make fun of her for this bullshit you're not gonna come in here and kick her out of the <laughs> castle because i think she says it's bullshit we know that but fuck you <laughs> exactly exactly yes mm-hmm. also i feel like it explains the dress that trelawney put on to come to dinner her green sparkly sequence dress she is gliding into lunch <laughs> yes. in a like look at me like i'm just it's so it's so extra in a way that yes. is really great right yeah she's like you only have to look at me like maybe once a year, and when you do, I'm gonna make it count. <laughs> like, uh, uh, okay. It's really fun reading this as an adult and just realizing how great the adults are in these books. Yes. I mean, I've always thought the adults were great, but now I I just have this extra layer of joy about. Oh yeah, you're. 
doing this work event that's awkward and also your ex is there and also it's you're trying to like do all this this stuff that's going totally over the heads of the like teens that are around you yeah (sighs) it's really good it's really good before we move out of education i feel like we would be remiss not to comment upon the extreme over-the-topness of Dumbledore drawing a chair in midair that then, like, spins into existence and lands for Trelawney to see. Okay, actually, I did have that, but I'm like, I know we've been recording for two hours because it is, it is really funny. And I'm like, LOL. And you know that chair was ornate as fuck. Yes. And so this is actually, this is like a thing that Dumbledore does a couple times and including when he goes to Harry's hearing in book five, when he conjures a squish, like a squashy armchair for himself to sit in while he's like defending Harry to the fucking Wizengamot. This is, this is something that Dumbledore like spends time on as like a party trick and he was so glad that Trelawney showed up so that he would be able to because he there are there are chairs they have been pushed to the sides of the room like he could have just like Akio'd a fucking chair (laughs) over to for her to sit in but he was like Hmm, I've been waiting for this because he had let me draw you a chair ready Yes. Yes, exactly. He definitely goes to people's houses and is like, oh, you don't have enough chairs? That's fine. I can just draw myself one. And you're just, it's just like, bro, we, we have some more chairs in the back. <laughs> yeah. I have to conjure this ornate wooden chair. Okay, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> yep. I bet it matched her dress. It sure did. Welcome to the health and science section where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science. So Harry's firebolt is made from twigs, as we find out when he's lovingly describing the bottom part of his broom. Um, Traditionally, brooms are made from broom corn, which is a kind of plant that, you know, is very wispy. So brooms that are made with twigs actually have a different name that is not broom. Okay. It's one, it's one of my N-words. So I just wanted to point out that... Wait, you should tell us what it oh, is. Oh, yeah, I do have to tell what it is. So it is a... So a broom made with twigs is a besom. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And what are they used for? Still sweeping or just... Sweeping slash witchcraft. <laughs> According to the internet. <laughs> okay. So, in the tradition of witchcraft, but also not a regular ass broom. I mean, obviously it's for flying, but it has, it has twigs and not like feathery bits. Right. Thank you for listening to The Gaily Prophet, where we do not know how to focus. On what we're trying to talk about. I, I don't. I didn't expect this short chapter for us to have two and a half hours of recording. Look, it is Mercury retrograde, and thoughts are not coherent things. It's Pisces season. 
follow your heart. Anyway, you can and should find us on the internet at The Gaily Prophet on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, on Tumblr at thegailyprophetpodcast.tumblr.com, and on our website, thegailyprophet.com, where you can do several things, such as listen to the episodes, write us a comment, uh, slash email, slash whatever the fuck you want to call it, uh, help us translate stuff, and buy our merch, which is great, and you should do that. We have so many cool stickers right now. You... If you have some extra cash, you should, uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Profit. As of this recording, we have 69 patrons. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah! If we ever get to 420 patrons, we'll do a funny thing. <laughs> Definitely. I will not smoke weed because I hate it, but Jesse will. I will. do something funny for you. Yeah, we could, we could do a live chat while I get very stoned. Which is legal in the state of Michigan, so don't come at me, law enforcement. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> All and- the cops listening to our <laughs> podcast. There are so many. <laughs> Listen, FBI agent who is secretly watching my internet uh, usage. Oh my god. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us five stars so people can know that we are quality p- podcasts worth listening to. And it also makes us feel great. If you want to find me between episodes, you can follow me on Instagram at Lark Malachi or at Radical Healer, or you can find me on my website, which is LarkMalachi.com, L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I.com. And in between episodes, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit or on Instagram at Live from Detroit. Our show art. And weekly comics are with you, Julian Forrester. Our spoiler warning was recorded by Sarah Sarwar. Our music for our spoiler warning and our intro and presumably the advertisement that I will be <laughs> cutting into this episode later because I forgot to write one uh, are all by Kevin McLeod. <laughs> you can find all that information in our show notes. And until next time. Shade. Be some. Legal aid, triscodecophobia, which is fear around the number 13.